Brilliant, thanks Marie. Do keep that passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, open in front of you. Um, and keep it in front of you because this evening, hopefully if you've been with us, you're, you're trekking through this, this 2 Timothy series that we've begun. This is week three uh, of our series looking at this letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to Timothy, uh, a young church leader. And if you've been with us, you'd have seen by now, I think, that, that the, the big thing, the big call, the big command that Paul gives to Timothy in this letter is to guard the gospel. Hopefully you've got that by now. You can see it there in chapter 1. If you flick back to chapter 1, verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That is Paul's big message to Timothy. He must guard the gospel. And we've been thinking a bit, haven't we, about what that means, what, what it involves. And so Paul has said, you must, you must keep it, you must protect it, you must pass it on to others. Pass on the message, the good news about Jesus Christ. You must guard the gospel, Timothy. The reason that Paul needs to write a letter to Timothy about this is there in the very next verse, chapter 1, verse 15. He says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Remember, Paul is writing at a time of gospel crisis. He's in prison. His friends have deserted him. And so he knows that Timothy, his last man standing, faces a choice. He knows that Timothy can run away like the rest of them, can abandon him just like everyone else. Or, as we saw last week at the start of chapter 2, Timothy can be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And so, chapter 2, verse 3, he can join with Paul in suffering for the sake of the gospel. That is the choice that Timothy faces. It's a very real choice, and it's a choice that, that we face still today. Like Timothy, we find ourselves facing increasing pressure to abandon the gospel. We started to think a bit about this last week, that, that Christianity is no longer seen as one of the good guys, but more often one of the bad guys in society. Despite all the, the goodwill and positive feeling that we've celebrated about a place like the King Centre this morning, in general, Christianity is seen as a problem, not a solution to society's problems. And so as, as things like cultural pressure increase, uh, Christians, churches like ours, face a choice. Do we stand with Paul and other gospel ministers like him, or do we run? Do we guard the gospel, or do we give up on it? That's the real choice that every Christian, every church, every generation faces. But as we come to our passage this evening to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we've got to see that, that it's not just external pressure that causes people to give up on the gospel, uh, as well as the obvious threat of uh, cultural opposition. Uh, Paul says there's another threat that Timothy must guard against. Uh, it's a more subtle, often more dangerous threat, and it's the threat of false teaching. Paul says in chapter 1, doesn't he, that 
that all have deserted him and so deserted the gospel. But as chapter 2 shows us, that doesn't mean the churches in Ephesus are empty. People have left the gospel, yes, but they haven't left the church. And so as we're going to see over these next few weeks, the kind of opposition that Timothy faces from within, oh, well, it looks attractive. It looks like the real deal. It seems like the way forward. But in reality, it is poisonous. And it ruins the church. So, what should Timothy and other church leaders like him do? How does Paul say he can guard the gospel when there is danger from within? Well, the first thing he must do is work hard at teaching the Bible. Work hard at teaching the Bible. Look at chapter 2, verse 14 again. Paul says, keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against, about, against quarreling about words. It is of no value, and it only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. The first thing Paul says you've got to get your head around when it comes to guarding the gospel, particularly in the face of internal opposition, is that this is not about pleasing people. It is not about impressing your church, says Paul. It's not, as we're going to see later in chapter 4, about telling people all the things they want to hear. No, Paul says guarding the gospel is primarily about pleasing God. Do your best to present yourself to God, says Paul. This is going to be about pleasing him. And the way that Timothy and others like him can do that is there in verse 15. It is by correctly handling the word of truth. The idea that Paul has got here is, is one of skillful craftsmanship. Uh, so uh, think of a, a woodworker who handles the material rightly, someone who handles it with precision and skill and care. If Timothy's going to guard the gospel, then Paul says, it really doesn't matter what you do with God's word. It matters how you handle it, says Paul. There is a right way and a wrong way, a safe way and a dangerous way to teach the Bible. I once heard one person explain it in terms of a, a kite mark. You know what a kite mark is? They're one of those little symbols that you get on things that show that the government has approved them as good and safe, ready to be used. You find them on things like car airbags. You only get a kite mark if every single airbag that you manufacture is identical, if it, if it does what it's meant to do. And so you can imagine, can't you, if an airbag designer, I don't know if there is such a thing, but an airbag designer comes along and says, look, they've actually decided they're going to be a bit creative for once. They've got a bit stuck in a rut, and so they're going to show a bit of flair. They're going to, they're going to design this new, exciting airbag for you. It won't necessarily save your life, but, but it is new. It's different. People are going to like it. They're going to find it attractive, better than the, that old model that's been around for some time now. Not the kind of person you want designing your airbag, is it? And Paul says the same is true for your church leader. A good church leader isn't someone who, 
who gets innovative with the gospel. They're not someone who, who changes it, it changes what the Bible says to, to make it seem more attractive or, or to seem more acceptable to its listeners. No, a good church leader, says Paul, is someone who gives their time and their energy to carefully and precisely handling the Bible, to, to faithfully preaching the same old gospel again and again and again. There's someone who works hard at understanding what the Bible says and then teaches it in a way that shows the people listening that, that this is God's word. This is what he says. Not just what I would like to talk about for 20 or so minutes. Correctly handling the word of truth means saying what the Bible says in the way the Bible says it. But it's even more than that. Because that little phrase there, correctly handle, also uh, has this meaning of cutting something straight. It's also a phrase used for things like building roads, Roman roads, straight roads. And so it's as though Paul is saying, look, Timothy, you've got you've to make a straight road. You've got to cut a straight path when, when you teach the Bible. And the key thing you, you need to know if you want to make a straight path, you want to build a straight road... Well, it's the destination, isn't it? You need to know where you're heading if you want to make the road straight. And Paul has been crystal clear in the letter so far about the destination. Time and time again, he's shown us the focus of the gospel message, the the ultimate destination of all God's plans and promises is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ is the destination, Paul has said, It's there in chapter 1, verse 9, where he says it's in Christ that God's grace has been given to us. Chapter 1, verse 10, it's in Christ that death has been destroyed and life and immortality brought to light. Chapter 2, verse 1, it's in Christ that we find the strength and grace to guard the gospel despite the suffering that it brings. Chapter 2, verse 10, it is in Christ that God's people are brought to salvation and eternal glory. And so for Timothy to to correctly handle the word of truth, it's as though Paul is saying you you must cut a straight path to Christ. Those well-known words in chapter 3 that we're going to come to next week uh, sum it up well. Chapter 3, verse 14, Paul says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Christ is the destination, says Paul. The Holy Scriptures lead us to salvation in him. And so so being an unashamed workman, being one approved by God, means carefully, precisely teaching the Bible in a way that cuts a straight road to Jesus Christ. And so for, for church leaders... For, for people like me, for people like Will, anyone in the church involved in Bible teaching, whether that's in children and youth work, whether it's in your life group, your women's Bible study, in a one-to-one conversation, wherever it might be, Paul says, if you want God's stamp of approval, if you want his kite mark, then this is what you need to do. 
You need to work hard at correctly handling the word of truth. You need to teach the Bible in a way that points people straight to Jesus. And the reason you need to to give yourself to that task, the reason it is so important, is that there will be people who don't do that. There will be some in the church, says Paul, who are not cutting a straight path, some who are departing or, or swerving from the truth. Look at verse 16. Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have departed or swerved from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy the faith of some. You've got to work hard at teaching the Bible, says Paul, because there are some people who have departed from it. They've, they've swerved away from the truth, and their teaching is dangerous. That's the language that Paul is using, isn't it? He says false teaching, teaching that leads people on a path away from Jesus, it isn't just another point of view. It isn't just a well-meaning, interesting interpretation. It's deadly. It is deadly. It will lead to ruin, says Paul, and so you must avoid it. Avoid it at all costs. And so if Hymenaeus is preaching down the road, Paul says, don't go. If Philetus is holding a discussion evening or or an online debate, don't get involved. Don't listen to their podcasts. Don't get involved in their Facebook chats. Keep away. Avoid godless chatter, says Paul. Why? Why? Because verse 17, this kind of teaching will spread like gangrene. It'll spread, it'll infect the church. And verse 18, it will destroy the faith of some. It's not hard to see how this happens, is it? You can can imagine it even in the the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus, these two people in the passage. If you were here last week, we started to see that these guys are teaching that the resurrection has already taken place. They're not talking about the resurrection of Jesus, that obviously has already taken place. No, they're talking about the resurrection of Christians, of believers. They are preaching, they are saying that the the Christian's resurrection is not something that we look forward to in the future, but it is something that has already happened. And because of that, because Christians have been raised, well, we should expect to enjoy, uh, uh, to live in all the resurrection benefits now. And you can see how, how attractive that would be to, to your average Christian in Ephesus, wouldn't, couldn't you? All the benefits of bodily resurrection now. Hey, the, these preachers, these guys, Hibernaeus and Philetus, they're saying that, that we can live a life without pain. No suffering, no hardship. The, the Christian life is just one victory after another. No more struggle with sin. No more fighting temptation. You can live your best life now. And then you can imagine them, can't you, pointing to Paul. Suffering Paul, imprisoned Paul. And saying, you're going to listen to him? Timothy, you're going to 
You're going to stick with him? Look at him. Surely you can see that, that he has got this whole thing the wrong way around. He's not living the resurrection life. You only need to look at him to see that. Do you see that the message of the false teachers, it, it seems so attractive, but it's deadly. It's deadly because when suffering and hardship come, and they always do, well, then what? When I lose my job or my kids won't talk to me anymore, when I get the dreadful diagnosis or the depression won't lift, when I can't bear the thought of getting out of bed, let alone living my best life, what then? Hymenaeus might be living the resurrection life, but I'm not. Does God not love me? Is my faith not big enough for him? Do you see, false teaching is deadly. Paul says it destroys the faith of some. So what should Timothy do? How should he guard the gospel in the face of that kind of teaching, when there is opposition from within? Well, Paul says, don't panic. You don't need to come up with some new tactic, some new strategy. Just keep doing what you've been called to do. Keep working hard at teaching the Bible. Don't get caught up in godless talk or or quarrels about words. Don't depart from the truth. Instead, keep preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 14, keep reminding people of him. Remind them of the king who, as we saw last week, died before he rose. The one who lived a life of suffering and then rose to glory. The one who, as we thought about this morning, calls us to take up our cross and follow him. Remind people of him, says Paul. Work hard at teaching the Bible. Cut a straight road to Christ. And then secondly, run hard towards godly character. Run hard towards godly character. Being a a godly leader isn't just about what you say. It's also about how you say it and why you say it. And that is what Paul focuses on next. In verse 20, if you look there, he he gives this, this illustration, this picture of a big house. The house is the church. And he says in the church, you've got two types of cutlery. Uh, You've got the fancy silverware that that lives in its own special box. It's beautiful, it's ornate, and it's useful. But then you've also got the the cheap cutlery, the stuff you bought in your first week at uni that's flimsy and broken, and it, it really now is only good for scraping burnt stuff off the bottom of the pan. Those are the two types of cutlery, says Paul, and they, they represent the two types of leaders in the passage. The good approved teachers and the bad false teachers. And the point of the picture is to say, Timothy, which will you be? Which will you be, Timothy? Which one does the master need? Which one does the church need? Verse 21, those who cleanse themselves from the latter, from the cheap, nasty stuff, they will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. In other words, if you want to be a good church leader, if you want to be useful to the master, Paul says, cleanse yourself from those false teachers. Cleanse yourself from the kind of stuff they're saying, from their teaching, 
but also cleanse yourself from the way they behave. Verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth. Often when we talk about fleeing evil desires and desires of youth, we, we jump straight to things like sexual lust. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. The context is of false teaching. And so it makes much more sense that Paul is talking about the youthful desire to be argumentative, to go looking for theological punch-ups. And so the temptation that Paul knows for, for any church leader, but for young church leaders in particular, is to give as good as they get, to meet false teaching with aggression and arguments, and to do it all in the name of defending the truth. But Paul says, don't. Don't do it. Verse 23, don't get caught up in foolish and stupid arguments. Don't stoop down to their level. You don't have to adopt their tactics to engage with them. Don't be a keyboard warrior. Don't go picking fights with random people on the internet. Flee youthful desires, says Paul. Run from them. And then having told him what to run away from, do you see he tells him what to run to? Verse 22, pursue or run to righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Or verse 24, the Lord's servant must be kind to everyone. Verse 25, they must instruct opponents with gentleness. If you want to be useful to the master, says Paul, you've got to run to, you've got to, you've got to pursue godliness. Or to put it another way, your, your method needs to match your message. Think about it like this. If, if you want to teach the Bible, in any context, whoever you are, if you want to teach the Bible in a way that, that points to a suffering, crucified king, if you want to show people that Jesus did not come to be served but to serve, that he is the, the shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep, the one who is gentle and lowly of heart, if you want to teach people about him then fighting and quarreling and arguing over words is not how you do it. Paul says the Lord's servant, the one who is useful to the master, will teach Christ straight from the scriptures and he will do it in a Christ-like manner. Your method should be different from the false teacher, says Paul. And so should your motivation Verse 25, opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and they'll come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Timothy is to have an entirely different message to these false teachers. He is to adopt an entirely different method to them, and he is to have an entirely different motivation from them. He is not standing at the front of church to win arguments. He is not fighting to show his own intellectual superiority or to gain some sort of following. Now instead, Paul says, he is to gently teach and instruct his opponents in the hope that they will come to know the truth, that they will repent. Timothy is to look at these false teachers, these these people who are destroying the church, promoting ungodliness, and he is not to see them as enemies to be crushed, 
but kidnap victims to be freed. Do you see that in verse 26? He says, behind all their arguments, behind their empty, godless talk, are hearts that have turned away from God and been taken captive by the devil. And so Paul says, look, Timothy, when these people oppose you, when they cause devastation in the church, as hard as it might seem, you need to keep teaching the Bible. You need to keep doing it with all the love and gentleness of Christ. And as you do it, you need to pray. You need to pray that God will open their eyes, that they will be set free from captivity to falsehood and turn in repentance and faith to him. That, says Paul, is what it means to be a godly leader. That is what it means to be a workman approved by God. That is what it means to guard the gospel when there is opposition within. Work hard at teaching the Bible. Cut a straight path to Christ. And run hard towards godliness. Let your method and your motivation be shaped by the very one you proclaim. And so as as we finish, I guess the the big application, the big thing I'd love to, to ask you to do is to pray for these things. Pray that these things would be true of, of me, of Will as he goes up to Scotland, of Mike and Steve and Gareth and anyone else involved in leadership that you know. Pray these things. Pray that, that we would be faithful Bible teachers who point people straight to Christ. And pray that we would pursue righteousness, that we would teach and correct in gentleness and love, and that we would have a desire that all would come to know the truth, and so turn to God in repentance and faith for his glory. Should we pray for those things now? Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for the amazing gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has defeated death and brought life and immortality to light for all who believe. Father, please again help us to guard this gospel. Help us to proclaim it no matter what suffering it might bring. And Father, help us to proclaim it in a way that means that our method matches our message. Would we be like Christ as we hold Christ out to the world? Father, please help us to do that in his name. Amen.